I want to just say first off the bat, happy Mother's Day to everyone, and especially to Kelsey. Happy Mother's Day, baby. You are wonderful, mother of my children. But more importantly, the reason why is you show Christ every day to us and our family. And uh, I love that. I love seeing Christ's likeness in her, her wisdom, her counsel, her care, her patience, her service. Everything that she does for our family is Christ-like. And I, and I love Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think he's fantastic. He's someone I would love to spend each and every day with, and I can't wait for that day to eventually come. And there's one unique thing about Christ that I am fascinated with, his ability to connect with anybody. He can break through any barrier and relate to anybody at any time, anywhere. And we see that in the Gospels. We see him interact with the highest of the high, the lowest of the low, and he does an awesome job at it. He interacts with people antagonizing him and also blessing him. He is perfect at interacting with people. And, I, and I'm not. I don't know if you are. Are you perfect at interacting with people? Anybody here would like to admit that? No. Okay. The way Jesus interacts with people is probably the way we would all love to interact with people. We would love not to be awkward. We would love to know exactly what to say and when to say it. We would know how to comfort, love to know how to comfort and care for someone who's hurting. We'd love to celebrate and thank someone who should be thanked and celebrated. And each person Jesus came in contact with, the reason why he was so confident is because he knew exactly what he needed to communicate. He needed them to understand and come to a place where they will believe who he is and what he's doing. Our, our, we, we're challenged by that. We're called to do the same thing, carry out Christ's missions to, to share who he is with the world and what he came to do in the world. He's sharing with the message constantly that we need to believe that he is the only son of God and to believe in him and have life in his name and to become true worshipers of God. And so this morning's a search for true worshipers. Would you classify and characterize yourself as a true worshiper of God? Would you know what you need to have checked off or labeled a part on your heart to be able to receive that designation as a true worshiper of God? This morning, as we look at the woman at the well in this nameless series, we are examining someone whose name we do not know, but whose testimony and story is still teaching us this day. And so I want us to ask the simple question, are we true worshipers? Are we true worshipers of God? Because that is what Jesus came to create. And so why don't you pray with me before we jump into this passage as we look at this story and we see the heart of a woman who came to know and believe in Christ. Heavenly Father, may the Spirit be the teacher this morning. I ask for clarity of mind and heart that you remove every barrier and obstacle that would prevent us from believing in you. Father, may we find your Son and may we be drawn to him, excited and astonished that he would know us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, or open up your phone. We're going to be in John chapter 4. We're pretty much going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to skip around a little bit of bits and pieces because it is 40 some odd verses. But the main point of this story is to look at the life of a woman who interacted with Jesus and see the result of her life. Because we are interacting with Jesus. And so off the bat, we're going to be introduced to a woman and ultimately she's going to be astonished that Jesus would even talk to her. Because Jesus is baptizing in the Jordan River. He's baptizing with John the Baptist. In fact, more people were going to Jesus than John the Baptist. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders came to inspect and to inquire as to what Jesus was doing in his baptism. And wishing not to create a conflict, he knew that he must go north. And so to get to Galilee, there's three roads. There's the road by the sea. There's the road that goes east of the Jordan River that goes around this place called Samaria. And there's a road that goes right through Samaria. And Jesus knew we have to go through Samaria. 
It says had to there in your Bible. And so God and the Spirit is probably leading Jesus to go through Samaria. And that's a unique distinction that we don't necessarily perceive off the bat. But we must know, why is Samaria a big deal? Samaria is the land of the half-breed Jew. They're a land of people that aren't quite good enough, according to Jews. They are dirty, they are unclean, they are vile even to some people. At best, you just ignore them. At worst, you bring them down. You throw insults their way. And they likewise did the same. The Samaritans are descended from the northern tribe of Israel. As the Assyrians came and conquered them, they spread the Jews out and scattered them, the dysphoria in and around. And the Assyrians then brought five different people from five different nations in to settle the land. And they intermarried. And they brought their gods and their relationships. And we have this muddied water that they're Jewish, kind of. But they're certainly not good enough to a normal Jew. And so when the Jews came back from their exile out of Babylon, they came to rebuild and the Samaritans came, hey, can we come help you? And we, they said, the Jews said, absolutely not. And what was created at that moment was animosity. In fact, it gotten so bad that over the years, a lot of times Jews and Samaritans would desecrate each, each other's place of worship. In Jerusalem at the temple and on Mount Gerizim, where this is taking place, this story. And so Jesus is going through a land of unclean people, and he, a rabbi, a a respected teacher, would have nothing to do with this path. There was no reason why he would go. Other common Jews might if they had to beeline. It was the quickest way to get to Jerusalem if you needed to get there for a festival. And so you might do it, but you do it in a hurry. You put your head down and you just go. Jesus has to go through Samaria for a reason. And so Jesus and his disciples find themselves in a place where they are not necessarily welcome. They've been told not to go here. This place is off bounds and off limits. But Jesus has to go here. And it came about the sixth hour of the day, which is about noon. So it's the brightest and hottest part of the day. And Jesus is still human. He grew weary. He sat by a well. His disciples went in town to buy food. And as Jesus sat down and his disciples went in, a woman comes out. That's where we pick up our story. Pick up the story that this woman is astonished that Jesus would even talk to her. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She's astonished. To us, we may not be certainly astonished if you've looked at the testimony of Jesus through the gospels. Like, yeah, Jesus would talk to anybody. But to her, this is not the case. To her, she is off limits. Not only for a man to talk to a woman in public, but for a Jewish man to talk to a woman in public, and a rabbi Jewish man at that, and even, let's make it go a little lower, she's coming during midday, which means she is more than likely ostracized by her own community. She is unwelcome to gather water in the morning for something she has done or said. And so not only is he higher than high, she is the lowest of the low. She is an ostracized woman amongst an ostracized people. You can't get any lower than her. I mean, you could probably try, but ultimately this story is a bookend to something happened in John chapter 3. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, he was the best of the best. And so we have two bookends of the same story where Jesus is going to talk and meet to the best of the best and the lowest of the low, and he's going to share with them, I came to tell you about myself and have you receive a relationship that that the best of the best needs and the lowest of the low needs. And each one of us in here fits somewhere in that category. 
See, Jesus, in his relationships with people, has no problem enjoying the confines of godliness that God has established. But he also has no problems breaking the boundaries that man has established. And so where another Jewish man would never have spoken to her, Jesus doesn't see these boundaries. He breaks right through to her. Are you out of bounds for Christ? Would you be astonished that Jesus, if he were to come sit next to you and talk to you, I think some of us in here would definitely ascribe to themselves the boundary that I am off limits for Jesus and I'm certainly off limits for the gospel. We've had moments where we've entered into that, left it or came back. It's something that we're reminded about all the time and yet we are astonished that Jesus would still talk to us. We are not out of bounds or off limits for Jesus and the gospel. He is pursuing us truly. And so she's asking this question, why are you talking to me? Why are you entering my world? See, despite every reason for not creating a relationship existing in this present uh, story, Jesus demonstrates a fantastic truth. Jesus is more interested in the blessing he, he wishes to give rather than the mark that person will have on his own reputation. He's not worried about the mark that we may offend him, for he's already paid for it. We know that story. This is an amazing truth, that we are not out of bounds for Christ. And so Jesus' actions certainly get her attention. Then they begin to, uh, she begins to inquire as to why would this even take place. She is struck, struck, she's astonished. But Jesus turns it. His request becomes an investigation. Because she doesn't know what she needs. She's come to a well for water to satisfy thirst. Jesus is going to meet her at that well to reveal to her what she truly needs. A true thirst that can only be satisfied through him. And so his request becomes an investigation of his own. And this is in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, I have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his livestock. Jesus is very gracious. He's very gracious to this woman. He starts off by saying, if you only knew. We would see this investigation by him as him uh, asking for a test or you should, you ought to know this. But he's actually saying if. This is very gracious of him because a Samaritan would not know the things he's talking about. The Samaritans only believed in the first five or only held to and respected the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. The prophets, the Psalms, they wouldn't hold to those. So they wouldn't know. And so when Jesus gives this declaration to her, if you only knew who I am and what I give, you would have asked for living water. And so she hears this phrase living water and she doesn't see the big biblical context that we may know. She only sees it at what it literally means, fresh water. Living water just means fresh water, either coming from a stream or the water at the bottom of the well that's bubbling up, not the stale water that's on top. And so she only takes Jesus literally. And he is moving her from a literal, physical understanding to a spiritual one. She doesn't quite get that yet, but we see Jesus' patience. Because what should we define and understand as living water? Well, we come to know from the Old Testament in Jeremiah and Isaiah and the prophets that living water means God. Let me read for you this. Jeremiah 2, verse 13 says, This is God speaking. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, it gets a little bit more specific. It's not just God who's living water, but something specific about God. 
So verse 3 says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land, my stream and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Jesus is offering her the Holy Spirit. And she only thinks of it as fresh water. If you only knew. Now look at her response. She gets a defensive response and she essentially says to Jesus, you have no way of satisfying my thirst. You don't even have a bucket. You can't get me fresh water. I have to give it to you. Have you ever had that interaction with Jesus to a degree where he is offering you something to quench and satisfy what your heart is truly longing for, but we doubt it and say, you have no way to satisfy my need. Jesus, you can't possibly satisfy my need. I've seen interactions like that. I have said those things. But that's my physical, limited understanding. But thank God the Lord is patient and will bring me along. Because the next thing she says is, are you greater than Jacob? And essentially what she's saying is, Jesus, you can't possibly do something better for me than Jacob has already done for me. Now, he lived thousands of years ago. What could you possibly do better than to give me this well? Now, what would be your response to those two accusations? How would you respond in that setting if you were Jesus? I think we'd just pack up shop and move on. Like, all right, this lady's not getting it. It's time to go. But thank God Jesus is not like us. He can perfectly interact with all people at all times. He knows what to say next. And so even though these statements have been said and we might abandon her, when he is offering her who he is and the Holy Spirit, she doesn't get it, but Jesus is patient, thank God. He's patient with the people he interacts with to move them deeper into understanding, to open their eyes to see what we truly need. She thinks she needs water, but he's revealing to her she needs a relationship. And so Jesus patiently continues. In verse 13, he says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. He says an interesting word in there, eternal life, that she wouldn't have understood. If you only believe in our following the first five books of the Old Testament, do you know what really doesn't come up? Eternal life. Nothing is really said about eternal life in those first five books. And so most Samaritans believe that when you die, they don't know. And most of them just left, nothing happens. You're gone. This is it. And so Jesus is saying to her, I'm offering you eternal life. And she probably is intrigued by this. But again, we have this mix. The physical level, she can't quite get past. Sir, give me this water. So think about this. She's using the only thing she has to be able to understand, which is her experiences. And so she's left to say, I just need to get a drink of water. You and I in this world, we would certainly affirm a statement that says, if you have longing in your heart, money and things and material cannot satisfy it. Would we all agree to that? There are non-believers who do. In fact, a quote from Jim Carrey says this, I wish everybody got everything they've ever wanted so they'll realize it doesn't matter. From Jim Carrey, Hollywood's funny man. He even knows that. And yet, do we still see people pursue that? Absolutely. Because they don't have another option. They can't think of a better way to go to satisfy the needs of their heart. They can't quite understand that need, which is why they try to ascribe a different solution to it. 
Or they might try a different variation. Maybe I just save money. Maybe I spend money. Maybe I give money. And that's just one way people go about satisfying the need and the thirstiness of our heart. And yet, we probably fall in that same ballpark too. There's many times I depart from Jesus and his living word and his living water to find satisfaction somewhere else, but I'm often convicted of it. And so, yes, she's not familiar with it. And Jesus could certainly move on, but he doesn't. Jesus turns up the heat. He's not letting her get away. This is Jesus' pursuit of people. This woman is then confronted by the truth. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. Now, right off the bat, her responses to Jesus up to this point have been a couple sentences. When Jesus brings up husband, it's a short, quick answer. It's, in, in Greek, it's three words, I have no husband. Essentially, what she's doing is, is let, let's move on. This is, a, this is a sore subject. I don't like talking about this. Let's go on to the next one. But Jesus stays planted because he knows he hit the heart. He hit the soft spot to un- unlock her understanding. And he says to her, you're right in saying I have, you have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman s- said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Your fathers worship on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Would that have been your response to your sin being laid out on the floor? Oh, you're a prophet. That been your response? No, absolutely not. It's kind of unique. Why does she have this response as all of her dirty laundry is laid out before her and she goes, oh, you must be a prophet with this excited expectation. Now, has anybody had their dirty laundry laid out in front of them before? Uh, I have. I've done it to other people. And when I've done it to another person who's longing and looking for something, the response is not to be defensive. It's actually the opposite. I'm glad that's in the open now. I remember coming back from a, an intensive summer program in college. We were in Idlewild, California, and there was 12 students, three staff and their families, and we lived together for three weeks. It was phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. A lot of life change that the Lord has taken me through. And on the last day, I remember I've always been struggling with what it means to be manly. As a 21, 22-year-old, that's right in that uh, part of life where you're figuring out what does a godly man look like? And I would always describe maybe physical aspirations, surf, play guitar, work out, be strong, diligent, wake up at a certain time, read, and do all these kind of things. The last day, 30 minutes after I got through thinking about that, one of the students came up to me, and I was just sitting on the porch. And he walked up, and him and I weren't really close during that all three weeks. I spoke to him maybe two or three times. We didn't quite mesh our personalities. And he said to me, I think the Lord wants me to tell you something. And I go, really, what is it? And this is what he said. Manliness is not found in superficial exteriors, but through the enjoyment and worship of God. What? Now, had you told me that that was going to happen earlier that day, I would have felt guilt and shame when this is exposed, because I should have figured this out by now. I'm at Bible school. I'm actually a junior high director leading and teaching students each and every week. I should know this by now, and so I didn't want it to be aired out. Nonetheless, God, he approached me, and the Lord laid it out. And you know what I was after that? excited, encouraged, and enthused. Yes, God is present. He is with me. He's helping me along this process. Jesus is doing the same thing with her here. He's airing out her dirty laundry because she is feeling guilt and shame, but he's going to remove that. That's why she came out in noon to gather water and not with the other ladies in the morning. 
She is unwelcome and unwanted, even amongst her own people. And Jesus is going to take that very thing where guilt and shame are often ascribed, and he's going to speak through it. And he does that in her life. She says, you're a prophet. In Deuteronomy, she was expecting a prophet to come just like Moses. So she knows that there's someone that God has promised to come and to answer her questions. But then why does she ask this question, where should we worship God? Her response to the airing of her dirty laundry is, where should I worship God? What does this begin to reveal? This is what she's truly been longing for. How do I have a relationship with God? What is the right way to relate with God? Have I been going about it the wrong way? I hear two things. Is it either in Jerusalem or is it here on Mount Gerizim? Which one is it? Please help me out to understand. For me and for my people. We don't want to be wrong. Do you know what she's really longing for? Intimacy. And a relationship. She's had it with five men before and one now and it's not quite satisfying. There's only one relationship that truly does satisfy, to be known and to be loved with, by God at the same time. Brothers and sisters, that still lies on us, to be known and loved by God. That truly is what our heart is longing for and searching for, and Jesus is helping us to understand it and use the very thing that brings guilt and shame often to do so. And so she came alone, yet she had many partners, but she ultimately needs a relationship with God, and little does she know she's talking to the man who can actually give her that actually help her see it. And so her longing culminates in a promise that she's been told, a promise to hear from the one who has authority and has the wisdom of God. She shares with this prophet in front of her her great hope, and she's about to realize that her great hope is found in the one whom she's talking to. And so the woman meets the truth. First she's confronted by the truth, but now she meets it. Verse 21, and Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when either on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. In our culture, the word woman is a derogatory. We use that to say, for Jesus here, he's saying ma'am. He's being respectful. Whereas other people in her society probably are not. Believe me, the hour is coming. Verse 22, your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Her longing for a relationship was seen through a physical location. It must either be here or there. Which one is it? And he breaks apart and says, the physical requirement to worshiping and having a relationship with God, it is going away. But notice, he doesn't sacrifice the truth for comfort and being gracious. He still says, you are wrong. You have not been worshiping and relating to God correctly. It is through the Jews and the Jews alone. So you having something separate is not good. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, and he gives the, the quanti he quantifies how this relationship is going to take place through spirit and truth now. It is no longer something physical. And so there's two connotations to spirit and truth. There's this negative connotation that says worship is no longer tied to sacred places. There is nothing special about this building or any other building that either amplifies or nullifies worshiping God. I have had some of the greatest worship in my life in a tin hut in South Africa. 
Gosh, it was awesome. But it was pretty dumpy. Outside, everything was burned. Trash was everywhere. But inside, man, we were worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's no longer a physical location or what it looks like. It's not supposed to be that way. And so the positive connotation of what Jesus is promoting to her is honoring God with our entire hearts in full harmony with the truth about God revealed in his word. So this is what spirit and truth is. I'll read it again. Honoring God with our entire hearts in full harmony with the truth about God revealed through his word. All of who we are. Anybody here been to a Catholic mass before? I've been twice and I loved it. Now someone go like, well, why would you do that? Because my whole heart is in a relationship with the Christ. So when I go to a Catholic mass and I read the liturgy, the up-downs, sit-downs, the praise, the bows, all that stuff, I know what's going on and my heart is fully satisfied in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ and what we're doing that I kind of step back and then I look around and I see everybody just going through the motions. I'm like, how are you missing this? And yet that's what takes place most of the time in those services. Not always, but most of the time. It's dry liturgy. People are just going through the motions. That can happen here. There was a joke in youth ministry as I was growing up that if you didn't know the words to the song, because that was before screens and stuff, it was like overhead projectors and so you can't read them, you would just mouth the word watermelon and it looked like you were singing. I don't know if you've ever heard that or tried that, but it's true. You say watermelon while you're singing, everybody thinks you're singing right along. I think some of us in here worship just saying watermelon. We really don't care what we're saying. We're just going through the motions. At the same time, there are worship services and songs that we may sing that are so cruddy. The actually words and the truth that's being proclaimed is not that great. I'm thankful for Pastor Daniel who thinks through all of these things throughout the week of what song we should lead, that we, he may lead us in, in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Both are equally important. We must hold these in tension. The pastors and the elders here at this church are constantly thinking through how we can lead and guide this church to worship God in spirit and in truth. But it's not just us. It should be each and every one of us in relationship to Christ must worship God alone through spirit, the whole of who we are, in perfect harmony in what he's revealed in his word. Studying God and scripture is immensely important in worshiping him. And so he speaks to what she needs. You need a relationship with God that comes through spirit and truth. That comes through having the Holy Spirit and knowing what God has taught and what is doing. And so the woman's response, remember she knows this promise that there's someone coming, but there's someone beyond the prophet. In verse 25 she says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Look at, look at what she's desiring. She really wants to know the truth. Anybody in here love to know the truth? Anybody here prioritize the truth and figuring out the truth in life? How about for yourself? Do you prioritize figuring out the truth for your heart, what you truly need in this moment? There's certain times where I'm frustrated or upset that are on the surface, and if I try to meet those and satisfy those, it doesn't necessarily work because there's a root cause. It could be selfishness. It could be a lack of joy. It could be a lack of closeness with Jesus Christ. I've just left him. I've been an accidental Pharisee. She has a true longing. I really want to know. And so this is what Jesus said to her. I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. 
This is way different than the rest of the Gospels. When everybody asks who Jesus is in the rest of the Gospels, other points, he does not say it. He disappears at that moment. Time to go when that question pops up. But why does he reveal it to her? The lowest of the low. The most insignificant person is, gets to receive the most significant news. It's because her heart truly is longing for something, a relationship I need to know the truth. And there will be a person whom it will come from. And so Jesus says, I am he. Brothers and sisters, do we long for the truth in the same fashion and format that she does? We ought to. Are we just looking to fix things in our life? Move on to the next. Get God in like a doctor, solve it and move on. But Jesus reveals himself to her because she wants to know him. She wants to meet this Messiah. It's not just to know things, it's to know the one who knows things. And so all of the, all the truth of God has been revealed to us through the God-man Jesus, who is the capital T, truth. And so he plainly shows her. And so the woman, astounded by what has happened, runs into town and shares with her people what she has found. She hears who Jesus is and takes off into town at the same time the disciples come back from being in town. Twelve of them who have been with Jesus for a number of months go into town and bring nobody And then you have someone who's met Jesus for five minutes, goes into town and brings out everybody. And she runs into town and she says, this man has told me everything that I've done. First of all, her to yell and shout in public in this moment, she is going to be getting some eyes. She'll probably get a stern warning and talking to, but she doesn't care because she's found the truth. And now the woman leads her town to worship the truth. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Now, they're not shocked by this because they know. And so they're thinking the same thing that she was thinking. How can he know? He hasn't lived amongst us. He hasn't been a part of this. This is a unique individual. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman... Now, why would they ever speak to her and affirm her? She is ostracized and outcast from her society, more than likely. But they look at her and they approve her by saying, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. They worship him correctly in spirit and in truth because they know who he is and what he offers. They believe in his name. Notice they don't say he is the savior of Samaria or Judea. No, they correctly understand that he is the savior for all people, all time, everywhere. That is the capital T truth. And they worship the truth. And as we read in John chapter 8, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. She has been set free from this guilt and shame. She is no longer outcast from her society because she received the message of the prophet, the Messiah. And she shared it with everybody. And so we don't know her name, but we ultimately know what she's teaching us. Do we go to Christ to satisfy the longings of our heart? See, the beginning of this, I I was writing and saying, I'm I'm astonished by Jesus. I love reading about him. I love reading about his interactions. But there are times when I just don't. There go some weeks where I I may be in a different part of of Scripture. I need to remind it. I need to go back and read the Gospels. That's not just for beginners, brothers and sisters. We need to have a relationship with Christ in such a way that he is the well we go to day in and day out. Because some of us in here, I don't know what well you're going to right now to satisfy what you need in your life. 
If it's not Christ, it's not the right well. But thank God that he will still meet us at the wrong well and lead us to a great deep understanding of who and how we are to relate to him. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's how we've been created. And through believing in the truth of Jesus, he creates us to be true worshipers of God. Why don't you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, Father, I confess for the opportunities and ways in which I depart from going to you to satisfy the longings of my soul and my heart. Looking to even good things, Father, we in here will definitely confess that we go to even good things. It could be church, it could be leaders and other teachers. It could be bosses. It could be our kids who we go to to satisfy the longings of our heart. But Father, may you meet us in that incorrect direction and then recorrect and guide us to your son. May his word and his truth be what satisfies our heart the most. So Father, help us to see Christ and believe his message that we may glorify your name above every other name. Father, move us to worship you in spirit and in truth as a declaration of what Christ came to do in our lives, that it has been accomplished, that we have been made in his image, your image, Father, and he has remade us. So as we go to worship, as Daniel leads us, may we think about the words we sing. May we sing them with all of who we are. May we not go through the the motions saying watermelon or detaching from our mind, but may we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.